0: started watching a show, finished a show called Jury Duty. Uh, it is essentially the Truman Show in a reality TV series format where everything is fake, even the judge, except for one guy in the jury duty and he has no clue what's happening. And the judge starts off with, hey, this is my final uh, 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 final one, this is it. This is my last you know, case in court, 31 years, my career, boom. Uh, and, th- and that's how it kind of really gets going when, when Ronald starts off in jury duty. <laughs> how it ends though, is the judge saying, no, no, no uh, uh, no 31 career. Actually, this was my first court case and it's fake. Everything's fake <laughs> and I love it. But, but they talk about, to the judge after the fact and, and uh, come to find out he, he's not just an actor. He actually did practice law and I, I'm not spooling too much for you. I mean, the whole thing is set up in the trailer. It's great, you'll still watch it, enjoy it, hear me. Uh, But he he ends with the judge saying, uh, uh, I did actually practice law and and how I thought about this character was just trying to shove every grumpy judge I'd ever set before into one guy. And I think I did a pretty good job at it. I was like, yeah, I think you did. Like just that kind of old man grumpiness for no reason. It's like, wait, we, we, we just started. Why are you already mad? Like we stood up for you, walked in the room. Why are you mad? Now, today, I want you to think about that. I wanna bring that image into your mind of a judge. Now, like, like the actor said, or the guy who had practiced law but was acting this time, said, you know, I'd been in front of a few judges. Uh, I don't know if you have. But how you think about a judge, how you consider that will help today We'll get into it more and more next week because we're going to start the book of Judges next week and walk through that for about 20 weeks. But I want you to think about a judge. What's your imagery? What's, what's kind of your maybe uh, insider observation about the judges? And if you're like, I only know Night Court, okay, sorry. <laughs> I like that guy, but I mean, real judges. of what's your, your feeling towards them? how do you think about them? If you had to go before them, like what does that conjure up in you? What does that kind of like, that anticipation, sense like? And and I, I feel as if like very similar to being pulled over, it's 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 immediate like, uh, what's happening? What's gonna go? What's the worst? I got caught. This is terrible, right? Uh, it's like, not judge dread, but it's like we go before a judge with dread, scared, terrified, what's going to happen, and Psalm 67 is where we're at this morning, and it paints a different picture of a judge and our response, feelings, thoughts towards that judge, okay, so Psalm 67, if it's in your pew Bibles, is around page 500, is that correct, I want you to see it with me, okay. Psalm 67, first three verses. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Sailor, take a break. Rest in that. Verse two, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you praise you now that first verse it should make you think of numbers if it doesn't that's fine Uh, it's it's kind of a priestly uh, benediction from the book of numbers that says may god uh, make his face to shine upon us so he pulls this from this priestly benediction starts off this song with it but then in verse two he he prays for grace to show god's way and he prays for blessings to show god's salvation Do you see that? May he be gracious to us. Why? So that they would see God's way. May he bless us. Why? So they would see his salvation. Now, this face shining upon you should, should, uh, it, it's it's the image of an ancient East monarch having an audience come towards him. And he would show on his face his pleasure or displeasure by his face. And what the psalmist is picking up from numbers and what he's assuring us by these words is that God, that God smiles on us that whenever you come into his presence, whenever you come concerned about him in that regard as judge, he smiles upon you. He's not a conglomeration of the grumpiest judges that you've experienced throughout your life. He, just like your dad, is not defined by God's not defined by your dad. He's not defined by your judge is what I'm trying to say. So rather than seeing God through the lens of judges, you experience what you think about judges, this is who God is. And he's the judge. And when you come before him, if you're his own, smile. A shining face upon you. A glowing, radiant, joyful, delightful expression in you on his face. So, let all the peoples praise you. (laughs) Now, some translations, yours may say people, but this isn't an exhortation to get all the people in the room to sing, you know? It's like, hey, let's sing, all right? Uh, That was like four of you. Now, everybody, come on, you know? That's the only translation. He's like, hey, there's only some of us singing. It's like, no, he's not saying let all people hear. He's saying let all the peoples, let all the peoples, so don't, don't miss the theme of the song. Great songs are connected to stories or to something bigger than themselves. Great songs tell a story that's bigger than themselves or connects to a story that's bigger than the person himself. And this song is the hope of the covenant of Abraham. How can we start off with asking even praying for God to bless to shine his face on us to grace us is because we are his people and he is our God that's the hope here and you feel like how do you see that this is exactly what God did to Abraham what this song and it is a song what this song is getting us to sing about, to recall, and to remember is that God promised to bless Abraham so that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. And you got to see this because some of our songs are God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, so that I get blank. Whatever your blank is. God bless me with money so I can get more gadgets. God bless me with influence so I can get better title. God bless me with uh, uh, those relationships or that new insight so I can get that new promotion. God bless me, God bless me, God bless me for me, for me, for me, for me. And this song is saying, hey, your, your song is off tune. It needs to be changed. This blessing should not terminate on yourself, should not end on yourself, but when you pray for God to bless you, to shine his face on you, it's so that it moves also towards others, that it moves towards all peoples, that it moves towards the nations. God blesses you because he loves you, but his blessings are never intended to stop on you. He blesses you and blesses others through you. This is a call to the nations to be glad in God. That they see and celebrate his glory. That they see and celebrate his goodness, his salvation. Verse 4. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. And I'll stop there because this is the, the centerpiece of this psalm. you got the first verses with the first kind of prayer for blessing and extending to the, the peoples. And then you got the center part, then it goes back to the peoples and this prayer for blessing again. You'll see it. But right here in the middle is this centerpiece of like what hinges that? What connects those two? How do you pray for blessing? What does this look like? It's all rooted in God. <clears throat> God judges the people with fairness and God. God leads the nations. What connects it is God's universal rule. We we live in, in a time that is is really not bound by boundaries. <laughs> but but if you would go back a few hundred years, you go back a little bit, you would see that most of history is by regions and tribes and little people groups together. And, and they didn't, you know, didn't have a big metal tube that you could jump in with a bunch of, uh, and, and fly to another part of the world. You couldn't do that. And in those tribes, in those different people groups, how they would make sense of God or how they began to cultivate their religion and then worship gods would say see magical majestic things in nature and then say there's got to be a god behind that but so often they would see their god as over that thing or over them and them alone and that he ran this place and there was the god of this region the god of this region the the psalmist says no 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 that's sad that's really hopeless no let the nations be glad that there's one god one king and he judges the people with fairness and he leads them like a shepherd guide. And the CSB it doesn't it doesn't feel that umph here but that that judge and lead it, it has the strength and tenderness of God. That that injustice will not go forever. That evil will not be left unchecked. He'll judge accurately, perfectly, but He also is the one who leads like a shepherd and guides us through this journey. It's the same marriage of, of strength and tenderness that's in Isaiah 11 and Exodus 34. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. God begins with Israel, but his goodness is to spread throughout the earth. Even in the Old Testament, the vision of God is in uh, one of the minor prophets of Bacchus that says the glory of God is going to fill the earth. The knowledge, the experience of the glory of God is going to fill the earth like the waters fill the seas. to rejoice because God is not a territorial God that can only operate within this three-mile radius. God is the cosmic ruler that breathes life into everything you see and don't see. Everything. In the ancient Babylon creation story, the god Marduk, he states in the story that he will create humankind so that gods can have slaves to, to do all the labor so that the the other gods can just lean back and use humans as forced labor so that they can take it easy. He doesn't mince his words. He's very clear about his intentions, Marduk is. And most of the other gods of other religions follow in his footsteps. If, if the hook if the hook of, of this, if Psalm 67 was a song tor- towards Marduk, the hook would be, let the nations be slaves. Marduk is lazy. So what would be? And if you're like, well, what about this, God? I will mock like that any God that you bring before me, like Elijah. Why? Because Psalm 67 is a. There's nothing else. There's no one else. There's no other cosmic ruler. There's no one else that judges the nations, the peoples, everyone with fairness. There's no one who has that authority or that power because there's no one else that created them, stands over them, and knows objectively what is true, right, and good. But the Lord... God is the judge. And so with that terrible hook to Marduk, uh, the the hook in Psalm 67 is this, let the nations be glad God is the judge. Let the nations be glad God is the judge. That's the hook. That should be the the song on your heart. Our our missionary family in Central Asia who's uh, back for a few months and actually here this morning, they have a They'll be going back next year to Central Asia, but they have a house cleaner named Nargiza. Uh, It means daffodil. That's what we're going to use the rest of the time. So daffodil, uh, like most women from Central Asia, grew up Muslim, born into a Muslim family. Her sister was the first in the family to believe in the gospel. She heard and believed through the work of American missionaries in the early 2000s. 20 20 years ago and then that sister was faithful to share her new faith until all three sisters including daffodil heard and believed and if if, if you're not amazed at it, do you know what i'm saying 20 years ago some american missionaries went to a predominantly muslim country shared the gospel A woman heard, believed, and then relentlessly prayed and evangelized her Muslim sisters in that household until what? Until the Lord sought them, grabbed them, made them his. But at this point in her life, Daffodil was in her 20s, married to a man who was strongly opposed to her new faith. And so over the past nearly 20 years, he's been cruel, sometimes violent on at least one occasion locked her out of their home so that she sent, spent several nights on the streets but I asked him for a story and they told me this because of this today Daffodil's still walking with Jesus Amen. she's still married to this man still living with him remains respectful towards him having chosen to forgive him, give him again and again still walking with Jesus even though She's not able to attend any kind of church or fellowship group because he will not allow it, but she finds other ways to have fellowship, other ways to be fed from the word. She earns a living by cleaning houses of many of the different believing clients in that city, which is few, but as she goes about her daily work, she can often be heard listening to the Bible or singing worship music in the local language. Let the nations be glad. God is the judge. There's hope. Justice will be meted out. Hard circumstances, cruelty, won't crush the joy of the Lord in you. Do you hear this? 20 years, this gal's been walking with Jesus with so much objection, pushback, cruelty. When you're you're filled with hope, what do you do? Circumstances and cruelty don't actually crush us. Hopelessness crushes us. And for 20 years, this gal has had terrible things. And you know what? She's kept walking with Jesus because he has her. She has that hope of that Abrahamic covenant that he's going to bless me and he's going to bless others through me. He's not going to let me go. Let the peoples praise you, God, verse 5 says. Let all the peoples <laughs> praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. So this is all people groups. All nations praise you. All oh. And the peoples and nations will fear God. In verse 1, in verse 4, in verse 7, those all reiterate the hope of God's universal rule. So this song, if you were to have this song on repeat in your heart playing, this would be a song on your heart resting in God's universal rule. That you receive that, that you breathe that in, that God is at the will at all times. Even when you feel like you have 20 evidences, uh, pieces of evidence to prove that he's not, by faith we trust he is. song on your heart resting in God's universal rule. Now, if you maybe are hopeless, maybe not a Christian, in the room I know that some of the stuff in the Bible is hard to get your mind around. And you may be skeptical of the church, the Bible, or Jesus' claims, or our claims to be genuine, you may doubt that. We get that. And like I said, we believe we're a place that you can be honest about your doubts and unbelief, and we'll come alongside you and try to help you wrestle through your questions. But what we are against, I told you what we were for earlier, what we are against is hopelessness. The, the gal in Central Asia has endured by the grace of God. Why? Because she has hope. You're not alone, death is not the end. Even if you hate yourself, someone loves you. There is hope. But but can I be lovingly blunt with you? Your skepticism or difference or apathy on who Jesus is, is a form of passing judgment on Jesus. It's, it's you setting up yourself as the drunk driver yelling at the cop. And the wild part of your judgment of Jesus is that it doesn't accomplish anything at all. Do you hear me? I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm trying to be honest with you. Your judgment of Jesus does nothing to him. It doesn't affect his status. It doesn't affect his credibility. It doesn't sentence him to obscurity already died and came back to life and ascended to the right hand of the father what really matters is his judgment of you that that matters that affects your now and your forever now meaning what you're missing out on real love and hope now, on real life now. To be honest, that judgment is it. The Bible is frank when it says it's appointed for man wants to live and to die and to see the judgment. So Jesus so graciously doesn't call you right now to the judgment seat. (laughs) What he calls you right now is to his cross. He invites you to hear my words and believe him who sent me and receive eternal life. That's what he says. The reality is that there is judgment coming, but in Jesus, that judgment has already been handled up for you. So a song on your heart resting in the universal rule of God, but really... As soon as you hit that theme, it pushes us outward, outward towards others. Because really, it's, a, it's a, a song of universal, a song of, of hope in God's universal rule that just pushes us as a song for mission. Like if this gets in your heart, kind of pumping, you're like in that tune, you know what it's going to do? It's going to move to someone else. When you're in that tune of this is a fathered world and he's here and he sees everything, and I can entrust him to execute justice on his terms, on his time, then let the nations be glad. Let's rejoice. Yeah. It's a song for mission. Jesus commissioned us, his disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations if you are a christian then you are a sent one for the nations for the peoples you're a sent one you're a herald it's your identity we we spend a lot of time fighting to find our identity in jesus and not in other things when we believe we're ashamed or dirty or less than or not lovable we fight to turn from that and believe the truth no in jesus we're righteous we're clean We're made new. We're not condemned. We're loved. But can we also fight that fake identity of we're not sent ones and fight to believe the truth that we have been sent by Jesus to not drift into an identity of comfortability and no purpose but the truth that we're loved and sent, sent as heralds, Sent for your neighbor's joy. Sent for your coworkers' joy. Sent for your kids' joy. That's what you've been sent for. So I'll just ask you there, where, where are you not living out your identity as a sent one? Has the good news of Jesus just become dull and powerless to you? And so why share with anyone if you're apathetic to it yourself? If it's not good news to you, (laughs) why would you tell anyone else? Or maybe you've so individualized and compartmentalized your faith that you've kind of gone with the flow where everything is so privatized that we don't speak about that. Not here. We don't talk about those things here. One way to consider being sent is your posture is your posture. When I'm at a classy wedding ceremony and reception, be honest, I'm a little more stiff, a little more formal, not a, not a ton of jokes and wild gesturing, you know? This is, this is me at barbecue and grills. You know, if I come over to your house, you invite me, this is what I look like. A lot of jokes on this, okay? <laughs> but at a reception, at a wedding, you know, class it up a bit, you know? Like Joe Dirt, that's, that's a little bit of what I am. I'm a little Joe Dirt, that's what it is, I'm sorry. Should have thought about my posture now. I'm usually uh, laid back, telling stories, laughing, doing wild howling motions if I'm in your backyard and something's on the grill. Our postures typically do match our environments. So sentness is like your posture. You're, you're in a culture that doesn't know Jesus, So you're for them, postured towards them. Posture of caring and knowing and entering in with people, desiring for people to meet Jesus, not a posture of apathy or hatred or indifference or distance, but a posture that moves towards where you sacrifice time and you build relationships. You sacrifice comfort and get gritty with them and actually get into their lives. Invite them into yours. You're not like Moses asking God for for him to send someone else to that person. You believe I've been sent to this person. They're here in my life. You eat with them. You listen to their story. You bless them with words and gifts and actions. You join in hobbies with them, even if you're like, I hate fishing. You know, I'm just, uh But this guy, man, it's the only thing he's ever invited me to. I'm going to show up my kids' fishing pole because I don't even have one because I want to hang out with this guy. You invite them into your home. You go golfing. Mountain biking. Yoga stretching with them. Got to clarify it, right? Got to qualify it. Stretching. You helped them with their home projects. (laughs) Now for some of us, this is an ignorance issue. No one has told you you're sent. I'm sorry, but you've just been told. (laughs) You've only thought about that as missionaries. You've only thought about sent ones being people that raised money and then we sent them overseas Neglecting John 14 through 21 and the whole idea of Jesus is going to ascend and the Father and Son are going to send the Spirit and He's going to be with us wherever we go on mission as sent ones to the nations. And if you're like immediately like, oh, I have to go to Central Asia, I'm like, no, here. I, I don't know where we always, we always try to uh, selfishly interpret everything about us. Acts 1 is us. We're, this is our Jerusalem, and this is our Judea. And this, we are the ends of the earth. It started there, and it's all the way here. Now, can you go back there? Can you go this way? Yes, but don't miss where you are. You're here, sent here by Jesus with the Spirit. Amen. Let the nations be glad. God is the judge. So some of it is ignorance. It could be. But some of us, this is a repentance issue. You know you're a sent one, but you've drifted, or you begin to refuse to live out that identity. You're driven by fear or apathy. The good news, though, is that Jesus said yes to the Father because you say no. everywhere you said no to the father Jesus said yes as a sent one as one who humbled himself as a servant as one who died yes 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 and what is that accomplishment forgiveness for all of your no's for your lack of care for your lack of compassion for our, our lack of a love for those that haven't tasted and seen how good God is So I invite you to repent and enjoy His grace of forgiveness, and may His grace empower you to tell others about him. And can I kind of encourage you, don't be paralyzed by fear. Maybe fear of the unknown, fear of people's rejections, fear of their questions. Their issues and questions aren't really about you, it's with God. I think that's another like selfish way we interpret this oh, who am I if someone rejects me? (laughs) Really? This is about you? In the Gospels and Acts, we see that the disciples tell others about their master way before he commissions to make disciples. Soon as he meets some of them early on, they just start telling their friends. I mean, this is what we are to say. Come and check Jesus out. And I'm not saying invite your friends to church. You can. I love it. Great. But that, that's not what I am saying right now. What I am saying is come and check Jesus out. Take them to Jesus. Really, their issue with you is not Jesus. With, it's not with you, it's with Jesus. So take them to Jesus. In his book uh, Intentional, Paul Williams states it this way The good news is about. Jesus Christ. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. And so in every evangelistic conversation, we should try and take people to Jesus. He's the one we want to talk about. He is the one person that everyone needs to know about. He is the way we know God, the way we come to God, and the one in whom we can have life. So whenever we're asked the question about what we believe, whatever the question, we do well to ask ourselves, what did jesus say on this issue or how can i answer this question from the life or lips of jesus when you do this it means you're taking them to the one who is the focus of the gospel it also means if the questioner doesn't like the answer their issue is with him not you it also means since you've spoken about jesus then it's very natural to talk more about Jesus as the conversation goes. Continuing to point our friends, all peoples to Jesus is what we want to do. I I want to answer the question they put before me, but it's even better if we can take the initiative in a conversation and help our friend understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death for sins and his resurrection as Lord. So when you're you're talking with your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, about life and brokenness and hope and desires, and they ask you a question, like Nathaniel did to Philip, and open up the book of John, open up the book of Mark and tell them, Come and see. Come and see. From the lips of Jesus, what do he say? From the life of Jesus, what does it say? John Stott adds, In all evangelism, our chief and overriding responsibility is to point people to Jesus. In every evangelistic proclamation, the wisest evangelist keeps bringing the conversation back to the person and work of Jesus Christ that century a little bit. I know in the past five years the world has changed tremendously and there's, feels like there's more questions about the Bible or about how the Bible calls us to live. Maybe there ever has been. That's not true, but it just feels like that. And I don't want you to get lost in the weeds. Lost in all the tertiary, secondary, thirdly issues and not just get to the point. Do you know what Jesus does? Over time, he works out the second and third tier issues. And when this is discipleship and not just a quick conversion, a cheap grace, then it's going to be discipleship over the long haul. But the first thing that they need to see be introduced confronted with is the person of jesus don't get lost in the supporting evidence like an archaeological find or a historical document but let them see and hear jesus take them to the bible specific here's the takeaway okay If it's the universal rule of God that we celebrate there's our hope then that hope pushes us launches us to the nations with a song on the heart that says we want them to be glad they may be happy in some things they may celebrate some things but we want them to experience gladness joy deep in their soul that burns now and forever Here's the takeaway. You can't reach everyone, but you can reach one more. Who's your one more? I mean, maybe you get overloaded, paralyzed, but even just think about this because you think about what does this mean? What does this look like? What does this take? How do I add this? And I'm just saying, you're already there. You're already uh, at work. You're already in your neighborhood. You already have uh, parents on your kids' sports teams or in in your schools. They're there. This is doing this with intentionality. Living your life with some intentionality that you are actually sent. So I would encourage you on your fridge, on your phone, wherever that you would write down, my one more. This is the one person that I'm praying for. This is the one person that I'm befriending. This is the one person that I'm talking to, telling them about Jesus, inviting them into my house, inviting them into my faith community, inviting them here on Sundays. This is the person. And if all of us, at least a hundred, are saying we're praying for, we're going after, we're actually going to live like we're sent. What's going to happen? More are going to be reached. But if we're all sitting there going, ah, oh, it's too much. Where do I start? I don't know how to do this. No one's going to be reached. We believe in the sovereignty of God. Okay. All right. So do you you hear me? I don't want you to deny your responsibility because you're like, oh, my objection is the sovereignty of God. He sovereignly invited you into his work so that more people might meet Jesus. You're sent. So who's your one? Who's your one more? The early church didn't blow up by massive evangelistic services. You see one. It blew up by regular disciples telling one more person about Jesus. Let the nations be glad. God is the judge. Let's pray. Father, you are. And I pray that we would be glad. Wherever there is Lack of joy. Lack of love for you. Lack of affection for you. I I ask that we turn from that. And that we would remember and believe. Who you are and who you've made us. And that we'd be glad in you this morning. But then also Father I I pray that you would raise. um, Our eyes to see your cosmic rule. That you reign as a as a good judge and a tender shepherd that leads us, guides us, walks with us, knows us. So Lord, I I pray that as you've blessed us, I pray that you continue to shine your face upon us and that you would send us out with Jesus on our lips, with good news on our lips, with hope on our lips. In Christ's name, amen. As we respond, that's what I'm asking you to.